Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Azure Dreams, a lawyer's thoughts on the Microsoft-Sony Gaming Alliance. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have a little bit of exciting news, or at least it's exciting to a guy like me who follows the business and law of the video game industry that I have enjoyed for my entire life. And so without further ado, let's just jump into the news item because to some extent it's almost unbelievable, or at least it's unbelievable to folks that are invested in the console war and think that giant corporations are these kinds of rival street gangs that fight each other uh, to the bitter end. And this is a press release from Microsoft itself. It says, Sony and Microsoft to explore strategic partnership. And this is from only a couple hours ago today. It says, companies to collaborate on new cloud-based solutions for gaming experiences and AI solutions. Uh, And if you're not familiar with the console war, if you're not familiar with the console makers, I don't know exactly what you're doing on virtual legality, but thank you very much for joining me. Sony is the maker of the PlayStation brand and in the current uh, ecosystem has the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 4 Pro out there, while Microsoft is, of course, the makers of the Xbox brand as well as uh, Xbox Live and certain other services that they are broadening out to other uh, console platforms. We just saw Cuphead make its way over to the Nintendo Switch, even though it was published by Microsoft. And so this is the next step in the line of what's going to happen with the next generation of video games. And I think before we get into the nitty gritty here, I think it's worth noting that while you might expect Sony and Microsoft to be bitter, to be antagonists, they have different strengths, they have different weaknesses. And certainly, Microsoft is one of the biggest companies on the planet Earth, and gaming is just a small section of what they do. So if they can find a synergy, if they can find a return on investment that they can gain out of working with Sony, even if it means to help them and their gaming platform, which is ostensibly a competitor to their Xbox platform, then, depending on the circumstances, it might make sense for them to do it. And I think that's what happened here. So let's take a look at what this actually says. This is a press release from Microsoft. This is how they have described the relationship that they have entered into with Sony. Sony Corporation and Microsoft Corp. announced on Thursday that the two companies will partner on new innovations to enhance customer experiences in their direct-to-consumer entertainment platforms, and their AI solutions. So really two buckets there, and I think that's important because as we start to read exactly what it is that we're looking at here, it appears to me, and it's always difficult to kind of read the tea leaves, read between the lines on a press release, because this is exactly what the corporations want to tell you right now. It appears to me that there's a bit of a quid pro quo. As we said, Microsoft is perfectly willing, if there's a good return on investment, if there are good possibilities, to help Sony out figure out, we're going to see their cloud performing solutions for probably PlayStation Now, certainly PlayStation Network, some of their multi-platform PlayStation Plus type features. Microsoft's willing to do that, but they want to get something in return. And what isn't mentioned here, we're going to see, is there doesn't appear to be an exchange in compensation, uh, which 
makes sense when we see that they only entered into a memorandum of understanding and not a formal agreement. And we're going to talk about the differences between those documents as well, because I have worked extensively with memorandums of understanding or MOUs you might see online or elsewhere across the internet, as well as formal licensing agreements or joint development agreements or partnership agreements. Generally speaking, the title doesn't matter as much as what the substance of the agreement says. And those are all different names for what amounts to two corporations working on something together. Uh, And as we'll see here, there doesn't appear to be compensation exchanged. Instead, there appears to be a kind of quid pro quo to access to each other's technology to try to advance their technological understanding and potentially make better things for their consumers, Uh, whether that's customers on a PlayStation level, video game customers, or we'll also see reference to enterprise customers, which it seems Microsoft is more interested in wooing as a result of this relationship. And that itself is interesting because Microsoft has always had its foot in both columns there. It's always been attracting gamers and it's always been attracting enterprise solutions uh, really at the same time. It's one of the reasons you saw them market the HoloLens uh, at E3 uh, that one year when in fact the HoloLens is really an enterprise-facing device and enterprise-facing software portal. Uh, But let's read on further in this press release. Under the memorandum of understanding signed by the parties, and we're going to talk about what that is as opposed to a formal agreement in just a minute, The two companies will explore joint development of future cloud solutions in Microsoft Azure to support their respective game and content streaming services. So a bit to unpack in that sentence, but basically it says the two companies are going to work to use what is the existing Microsoft Azure cloud infrastructure. And I've got a few tabs ready to talk about what Azure actually is, because I think we often kind of just glide past what cloud computing services are. And I did find a good article that kind of breaks it down uh, in a useful way. But they're going to work with what Microsoft currently has as a hardware and software solution to help use their cloud computing infrastructure. And they're going to work to do it to help both Microsoft's Xbox Live and what I would imagine would be PlayStation Now. Certainly, that's their streaming game solution. But also their use of dedicated servers, their multi player solutions for the PlayStation Plus platform, as well as potentially delivery of the actual content in downloads through the PlayStation Network store and things of that nature. The Microsoft Azure cloud solution allows you to have all this computational power, and they're going to work together to see if it can't advance the ball for what PlayStation offers, as well as whether Microsoft can't learn a little bit of something about how Sony has done its coding, how it has organized its services that could maybe help streamline the Xbox Live service. Essentially, they're going to work together to see if there are better ways to deliver products and services to their end consumers, which in general, I think we can all agree is probably a good thing. It's probably going to get better. But let's take a look at what Azure is, in case you're not familiar. And there are some instances here where they describe it, and it's not terribly helpful. But I wanted to kind of show some of the issues that people have, especially if they're not familiar with this space, in trying to figure out exactly what people are talking about, whether it's in the Wall Street Journal or whether it's in Wired. Cloud services continue to have this kind of mystical and magical uh, invocation. And the reason is because it's described like this. Microsoft Azure, we're on their site, azure.microsoft.com. What is Azure? Microsoft Azure is an ever-expanding set of cloud services to help your organization meet your business challenges. It's the freedom to build, manage, and deploy applications on a massive global network using your favorite tools and frameworks. Do you feel illuminated about what Azure is at this point in time? I know I do. I think I got it down at this point. No, of course not. That's a statement that's basically aspirational. What is Azure? It's anything you want it to be. What are you trying to do? Azure can help you do it. It's very much like those late night infomercials, uh, the slap chop or what have you, that just basically say, 
it does exactly what you want it to do. Of course, it's something more specific than that. And I did find a good article on uh, How to Geek, actually, that I thought had a good paragraph that matches my understanding of how this service actually works. And so I wanted to highlight that for you as well. And of course, like all other virtual legality episodes, the articles here will be linked in the description to the video. And it says, cloud computing works a bit differently than traditional businesses owning their own infrastructure. Rather than run your own hardware or pay for use of some specific hardware in someone else's data center, you just pay for access to a massive pool of computing resources provided by Microsoft, that's Azure, or Amazon, or Google, or whatever other big tech giant you're purchasing computing cloud software solutions from. This allows you to host web servers, email servers, databases, file storage services, uh, virtual machines, user directories, or anything else you might want on their service, in their cloud, on Azure. When you need more computing resources, you don't have to purchase physical hardware. The cloud, Azure, shares the hardware and automatically assigns the work as necessary to get everything done. You pay for as many computing resources as you need and not a specific number of hardware servers on a rack somewhere. So it's essentially a variable usage framework that allows you to help cut off uh, extra uh, payments that you might otherwise be making if you just had a bunch of servers sitting around or uh, allows you to better meet your obligations during a spike period where you've got a lot of unexpected downloads or access. Uh, and that's really what cloud computing is right now. There's a lot more that goes into it, including the software, including the applications, what you can access through Microsoft, their specific teams that help make it work specifically for whatever your enterprise needs are. And that's really what Sony and Microsoft are talking about right now. The last page I wanted to pull up here is they actually have a page that describes Azure as helping gaming solutions. This isn't really tied to other platform holders. It's not really aimed at Sony or Nintendo as much as it's aimed at publishers and potentially independent developers that might seek to answer some of these questions. But it's helpful to know what we're talking about. So they say, build global gaming experiences here. They say, create and run your game with a global secure cloud and game-specific services for studios of all sizes and budgets. Dynamically scale your game experiences to over 50 global regions, more than any other cloud provider on demand. Deliver your game to consoles, PCs, mobile devices, and the web. Powering games already, like Minecraft, Halo, and Sea of Thieves, Azure enables built-in virtual networking and load balancing, plus automatically syncs between cloud and on-premises systems. They then tout the security of the system, the speed of game development that helps amplify engagement, which is, of course, one of the big metrics that game developers and publishers use. You want to have engagement on your game because that helps drive growth, helps drive microtransaction spend and all other things. And that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about a cloud-based solution in Azure that allows you to balance your server load, get things out to more people better and faster, potentially patches, potentially content. And that's what Sony and Microsoft are exploring is how to use Azure to better not just Microsoft services, but also Sony services. And to some extent, that means today is a bit of a sea change. You don't usually see Sony and Microsoft working this way. Microsoft has been making inroads with working with competitors in various spaces uh, for a number of years now. That seems to be one of the driving focuses of their current gaming division initiatives. Uh, but this is, a big, this is a big step. Let's go back to the press release where it says, after it discusses the Azure game and content streaming services, it says the two companies will explore the use of current Microsoft Azure data center-based solutions for Sony's game and content streaming services. So it unwinds the respective game and content streaming services discussion and talks specifically about Sony's. So that's actually 
putting a lampshade on the fact that Microsoft is acknowledging that they will be helping the PlayStation infrastructure and network usage by this memorandum of understanding, just so everybody is clear. They say, by working together, the companies aim to deliver more enhanced entertainment experiences for their worldwide customers. These efforts will also include building better development platforms for the content creator community. They're going to try to help everyone access these things as well, and not just have back-end support for Sony and Microsoft to get things out from their perspective. Now, that's all well and good. A couple things here. So let's talk about a memorandum of understanding to begin with. If you're not in the law, if you're not in business transactions, you probably look at that and say, well, that's a really long way of saying uh, we agree to something. Is that a contract? Is that a license? The answer is yes and no. And so I pulled up a definition from Investopedia, which we're going to find is not exactly accurate, but I think it's a useful kind of starting point for discussion. So I think we're going to talk about it anyway. And they've got this definition, memorandum of understanding, MOU, as being a formal document describing the broad outlines of an agreement that two or more parties have reached through negotiations. It is not a legally binding document, but signals the intention of all parties to move forward with a contract. Let's stop right there because it's that last sentence that really isn't entirely accurate. A memorandum of understanding is essentially an agreement that is light on details. Uh, If you can imagine a licensing agreement or a purchase agreement or an equity agreement and how two giant corporations would negotiate every last little facet of how something would go, you can imagine the length of that document. It's going to be 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 pages. And that's the usual kind of length for a normal giant-sized agreement of some kind. A memorandum of understanding is different. Um, In a memorandum of understanding, you don't have to have nailed down every tiny little aspect of what's going to happen. Uh, But it doesn't necessarily mean that what you agree to isn't legally binding. It is usually the case that a memorandum of understanding will be used as an entry point for a future what we would call definitive document. So a memorandum of understanding is another name that you can give to something called a letter of intent or a term sheet, and they accomplish a similar function if you are going to be making definitive documents. And that is to say, what's the really important stuff? What's the really important stuff about our relationship that if it wasn't true, if we didn't agree on these key things, then we wouldn't be entering into a relationship at all. Because if we don't agree on these key things, it doesn't make sense to pay our lawyers, because lawyers are expensive, for hours and hours of work to draft an 80-page document and get all the details about indemnification and representations and warranties and covenants and everything else, If we can't agree on what the darn price of the thing is or who's going to own the intellectual property that arises out of a joint development. And so the memorandum of understanding says, okay, we're going to create a committee. We're going to work on Azure stuff and the Azure stuff's going to be usable by Sony and then maybe some other stuff, which we're going to get to in the press release. And that's going to be run by a committee that's going to have four Microsoft people and four Sony people. And they're going to have a quarterly meeting and they're going to discuss how this works. And they're going to have updates on the Azure piece and on the other pieces And it describes what's going to happen with their relationship. In a case like this, where you've got joint development of intellectual property, potentially, it probably also itemizes what's going to happen to that intellectual property. So if you can imagine, you're working on Azure, Sony has a bit of code, a bit of organization that does something cool that Microsoft likes, and they work it into how Azure functions, and it helps Sony and it helps Microsoft. But who owns that intellectual property? These are two separate companies. So in that memorandum of understanding, you might say, all right, When we're working on something together, if we've both put input into something, we both have rights to it. We're both owners of it. 
uh, and we can do what we want with it, but we can't exclude the other from their ownership interest. That might be how it works. It doesn't have to be how it works. You might have a bit of language in there that says, if it relates only to Sony's thing, then it's entirely theirs, but they license it back to Microsoft for use in advancing their Azure framework. There's any number of ways that this could be documented, but a memorandum of understanding probably covers those things. And the reason I say it can be legally binding is because in an instance like this, where it doesn't look like you're exchanging money, you don't actually have a payment of some kind, you don't have an ongoing royalty in all likelihood, then probably the memorandum of understanding is actually binding when we're talking about intellectual property, especially transfers to say, hey, ownership doesn't move. We're only licensing this to the extent we talk to you about it. If we jointly develop something, something's going to happen to that. We both own it. Somebody owns it and they license it back. Whatever it is, we probably have to make those binding or else it gets really confusing going forward. It's not a promise. They could have organized it in a different way. But the definition here is not accurate insofar as a memorandum of understanding absolutely 100% can be a legally binding document. You just don't often do that if there's money exchanged or if you're going down the road to a definitive documentation because that's where the real legal protections live is in the great description that does take a number of pages of what's going to happen versus what can be a fairly simple document. A memorandum of understanding, depending on how deep it goes into the details, can be five pages, could be 10 pages. It depends on what it is that you're talking about, but it's not going to be that high level of detail that you see in a definitive document and say a licensing agreement. The other thing a memorandum of understanding can do is say, we are going to think about it later. We are going to enter into this. We're going to agree to what the committee looks like. We're going to agree how we're going to allocate our research time. We're going to have calls every month, whatever it is. And then if some intellectual property pops out, yes, we're each going to be owners, but neither one of us will use it until we agree to a definitive licensing agreement at the time. Hey, look, this is nice. We're looking forward to doing something with this intellectual property, but we don't honestly know whether anything's going to come out of it. So rather than figure out what royalties would look like, what a payment would look like, who has patent obligations or trademark or copyright or whatever it is that you wind up fighting over going down the line, let's kick that down the road because we can worry about that. We can pay our lawyers. We can pay our negotiators if something actually develops. But if it doesn't, it's a shame to pay them right now because it would be for naught because nothing came out of the agreement. So you can have in your memorandum of understanding something that says, let's agree to agree later. And probably you'd have some parameters around that. It'll be standard royalty rates if you're talking about a royalty-based license, uh, on market terms, something that gives you a general contour of what people are expected to be bound to in good faith when they're having those negotiations down the line. But the actual obligation to enter into those good faith negotiations might well be legally binding even if the ultimate disposition of the intellectual property isn't legally binding, if that makes sense. So it can get a little complicated, but the point is a memorandum of understanding is generally a lighter document than what we would usually use to document corporate transactions. And it's designed that way because we don't know how successful it will be. If there's no money changing hands, frankly, we're not as worried about what the state of the world is. We're not as worried about getting a maximally protective legal contract. So if there aren't those kinds of monetary obligations, we can maybe be a little bit lighter. We can use a MOO instead of a formal purchase agreement or a formal licensing agreement, and that can be okay. So let's take a look at what the actual quid pro quo that I think I've identified in the press release is for Microsoft helping Sony get their online infrastructure better. And that quid pro quo can be found in the second paragraph of this press, uh, press release. And it says, as part of the memorandum of understanding, Sony and Microsoft will also explore collaboration in the areas of semiconductors and AI, artificial intelligence. For semiconductors, this includes potential joint development of new intelligent image sensor solutions. By integrating Sony's cutting-edge image sensors, so 
Let's stop right there for a second. By integrating Sony's cutting-edge image sensors, that's something that Sony is bringing to the party. Sony has cutting-edge image sensors. Ah, this is uh, a, a, a difficult phrase to say. Sony's cutting-edge image sensors uh, are Sony's. And so they're going to integrate them, as we will see, with Microsoft's Azure AI, artificial intelligence technology, in a hybrid manner across cloud and edge, their uh, formerly Internet Explorer technology, as well as solutions that leverage Sony's semiconductors and Microsoft cloud technology. The companies aim to provide enhanced capabilities for enterprise customers. So let's back all of that out. But the important part here is where Microsoft has Azure and maybe has some secret sauce that can help Sony PlayStation and PlayStation Now and PlayStation Network, Sony has cutting edge image sensors, which can maybe help Azure's artificial intelligence and help Microsoft sell certain products and services to Microsoft's enterprise customers. And that's where you start to see the quid pro quo. That's how a memorandum of understanding develops. That's how any real transaction between companies and corporations of this size develop is one has something that the other wants and the other has something that the first one wants. And in this case, that's cutting edge image sensors. And I'd be lying if I said I knew fully exactly what that means in the context of cloud-based artificial intelligence, but it's certainly something that Microsoft wants to explore and they want to explore selling it to the benefit of their enterprise customers. And there you can kind of see where this synergy happens. Sony is focused on gaming customers out of this memorandum of understanding. We see reference to Sony's game and content streaming services. To some extent, that might also include other entertainment services, uh, movie delivery, things of that nature. But Microsoft is focused on enterprise customers, the other corporations, the other entities that might be purchasing Azure, that might be purchasing Azure services. So they say, all right, we're going to help you get your PlayStation ducks in a row, but you're going to help us make Azure even better and make it even more attractive to whatever enterprise customers we can find. And if we have that agreement, then we can both help each other out. The press release continues, in terms of AI, the parties will explore incorporation of Microsoft's advanced AI platform and tools in Sony consumer products to provide highly intuitive and user-friendly AI experiences. That's another piece of the quid pro quo. There, Microsoft has artificial intelligence of its own, and they say, we're going to figure out whether it doesn't make sense to start integrating some Microsoft AI into your Sony consumer products because you have such a broad Sony consumer product base that maybe it makes sense to see, oh, that would improve your product in this way, and that would improve that product in that way. And now we can start to say, hey, that would be a good idea. Let's potentially enter into a licensing agreement. And then maybe Microsoft has another revenue stream from the fact that Sony let them kind of discuss what situations Microsoft AI might improve their own consumer products. And in that way, Sony improves the PlayStation infrastructure, Microsoft improves its Azure infrastructure, and also potentially gets a new customer base to sell its artificial intelligence solutions to in Sony that presumably wasn't already incorporating their artificial intelligence solutions in a manner that was sufficient for Microsoft. So in that way, you see these two companies each have something to potentially gain from this. It might work. It might not. You also see reference to joint development. We talked about a joint development agreement when I was referencing different titles for a formal agreement, but that's a more formalized document than a memorandum of understanding that would generally say, uh, hey, we're going to put a joint development group together. We're going to work on a specific project, and we're going to talk specifically about the intellectual property that arises out of that project. So this says it includes that. In my estimation, it probably includes reference to what that would look like. 
And if there are initial instances where it looks like that might be a successful endeavor, that it probably has reference to making a more formalized agreement that is more protective of each side's intellectual property as it gets closer to fruition. Not always the case. They might just go with a memorandum of understanding, especially if this particular memorandum of understanding is the 40-page variety and the lawyers have actually already gotten to it and added protections all along the board. They do have quotes at the end of this press release that are uh, interesting. They're from Sony. Uh, It says, Sony is a creative entertainment company with a solid foundation of technology. We collaborate closely with a multitude of content creators that capture the imagination of people around the world. And through our cutting edge technology, we we provide the tools to bring their dreams and vision to reality, said Kinichiro Yoshida, president and CEO of Sony. PlayStation itself came about through the integration of creativity and technology. Our mission is to seamlessly evolve this platform as one that continues to deliver the best and most immersive entertainment experiences together with a cloud environment that ensures the best possible experience anytime, anywhere. So you see there, Sony's mission statement is a little bit similar to what we've been seeing from Microsoft, which is they want to bring the PlayStation brand and gaming environment to what they describe as anytime, anywhere, whether that means broadening out to Sony TVs on a more specific basis or even other pieces of consumer electronics remains to be seen, but that appears to be their goal, to bring PlayStation to even more places than maybe just solely the PlayStation console environment. Maybe that's just PlayStation now, uh, but the years will tell. For many years, Microsoft has been a key business partner for us, though of course the two companies have also been competing in some areas, roughly speaking, the PlayStation and Xbox. I believe that our joint development of future cloud solutions will contribute greatly to the advancement of interactive content, that they're going to work together to improve both their platforms because, as is the best press release possible, it's going to benefit everyone. And so that's why these companies are doing it. Obviously, it's also helpful that both companies would uh, be able to reap the rewards if more people and uh, additional geographies wound up liking the PlayStation and or Xbox ecosystem. And so that's why they're doing it from a corporate level. But certainly they think both sides can benefit from sharing this information and this technology in this way. Additionally, I hope that in the areas of semiconductors and AI, leveraging each company's cutting edge technology in a mutually complementary way will lead to the creation of new value for society. And again, when we're talking about semiconductors and AI, for the most part, that's Sony allowing Microsoft to integrate their semiconductor technology into Azure, as well as allowing Microsoft to pitch them on artificial intelligence solutions for their own products. And that's really what we see here. We see a possibility of two companies with differing technologies, differing strengths, differing weaknesses come together in a manner that could potentially allow both to better service their customers, even if on one particular axis, the axis that we are most concerned about on virtual legality, in the PlayStation and Xbox, even if in that particular axis they... essence enhance the capabilities of their immediate competition. That doesn't matter because of these other synergies that they see as a possibility from this technological advancement and from the sharing of this information. And personally, I think it's great. I think it absolutely serves as a wonderful reminder about these corporations, how certainly with respect to Microsoft, but also with respect to Sony, they are bigger than their gaming sectors, certainly, but also how even competitors can say, hey, We have a specific weakness and need for semiconductors or for cloud-based service solutions, and we can work together because you have that thing covered and we don't, and you have that other thing covered and we don't, and let's get together, let's discuss whether we can work, work it out. 
Now, a memorandum of understanding is not the same as a formal agreement, so this could be just an exploratory type joint development committee, those kinds of things. So it's a little bit early to see whether or not this actually winds up in real changes at either the PlayStation level or the Microsoft Azure level. But I do think it's a very interesting press release. You don't often see these companies working on something like this that are directly gaming facing very often. And so I thought I would bring it to your attention on virtual legality and give you a little bit of my experience working with memorandums of understanding and intellectual property licenses. So that's been virtual legality today. If you like this video, please do like, please subscribe to this channel. I do these kinds of videos all the time. I think just yesterday I talked about whether or not Ubisoft was using deceptive advertising when they promoted the division two as having matchmaking for all their services at all difficulty levels. And they wound up taking matchmaking out of the raid, but launched today. That's a very interesting discussion. I also did a complete page turn discussion dissection of the Apple Inc versus Pepper case that the Supreme Court released earlier this week that talked about whether or not consumers could wind up suing Apple for the purchase of developer-made applications because Apple was the contract signatory in those interactions in the App Store. Some very interesting stuff there. And of course, if you just like pop culture, I regularly cover things like Game of Thrones and Avengers Endgame, other things that interest me. And I put up videos that do what I call post-mortems or impression videos that talk about my experiences with those pieces of pop culture content, whether it's video games or television shows or movies. And we do that regularly on the Hoglaw YouTube channel. So please check us out. Tell your friends if you think they'd be interested. Otherwise, if you watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it on a podcast, thank you so much for listening. Please do review it on the podcast service that you're listening to it on. That does a great deal of help to grow the channel as well and share it around to whoever you might think is interested. Otherwise, thanks again, and I will catch you on the very next Virtual Legality.